everyone. This is Shannon Morgan, and you are listening to Episode 9 of Sound Mind, a place to openly discuss the struggles in our minds, including mental health, trauma, addiction, and more. I am not a counselor, and this podcast is not meant to replace professional therapy. More like somewhere you can go to find connection and learn how other people's experiences can aid in your own journey. Speaking of which, I work in the field of behavioral health as a peer and youth support specialist. Working with both adults and children, I share my lived experience with mental illness, trauma, and addiction in order to connect with clients and help them see that they are not alone, helping them to share their own story, set goals, build hope, and live more self-directed, purpose-filled lives, which is the spirit I'm bringing to this podcast show. The website for SoundMind is soundmindpodcast.com. There you will find social networks, learn more about guests, and where you can leave a comment or send me an email. And I would really love to hear from you, especially if you'd like to be a guest on the show or you have a reaction to an episode. Now, on to today's guest. Quinn Winslow has struggled with mental illness most of their life. They received a depression diagnosis at a very young age and were diagnosed again as a teenager. It wasn't until adulthood that they finally received their ADHD and autism diagnosis. Despite their struggles, including a suicide attempt, they have always found a reason to keep going, even if that meant making difficult choices. And with that, let's meet Quinn. Hello. 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 How are you, Miss Quinn? Oh, doing all right. How are you doing, Shannon? I am chilling like a villain. <laughs> it's been a good morning so far. I'm excited to get started with this podcast. Well, good. I'm I'm glad things are on the up and up today. Heck yeah. Why don't we just jump right in? All righty. So why don't you tell me a little about yourself? Well, um, I'm Quinn. Uh, you interviewed my husband, Mike, for your, I believe, second episode, mm-hmm. uh, 27 years old and still have no idea what I want to be when I grow up. Ah, I'm 40 and I still don't know what I want to be either. So we're in this boat together. Right. Uh, I've done a little bit of everything. I have a background in engineering, studied engineering for four and a half years. Uh, I did peer support for... I believe three years, uh, and I keep my certification current, even though I'm not doing that right now. I started my own dog treat business, and I'm actually currently training to be a dog groomer. Awesome. I was going to ask you what, what happened with the peer support. You just get kind of burned out. Um, I was laid off due to downsizing about a year or so ago, about a year and a half ago. Mm. Uh, and decided that I wanted to try to do something a little bit different while I focused on my own mental health. I've struggled with mental health issues for pretty much my entire life and I was on a bit of a decline. So I wanted to try something a little different, get my head on straight. And that's why I started my own business for a little while. Uh, and then, yeah, I did that for about a year. And then I actually got hired on by my best friend and I'm training under her. Oh, that's awesome. The dog grooming place. Yes. It always seemed like it would be a fun job. It's very labor intensive. I'll tell you what. <laughs> Lots of work getting the animal, keeping them in the tub, I imagine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, getting them in the tub in the first place is actually quite the challenge. And then especially with puppies, getting them onto the groomer's table and getting them to stay there is always a bit of a challenge. Mm-hmm. you have any special tricks? Uh, nope. You just kind of have to have confidence and, you know, kind of show that you're the authority, you know, with the dog and make sure mm-hmm. that 
you know, they know who's boss. Um, and for the most part, you know, once, once they understand that they're not getting away, they're just resigned to it. So that sounds like a lot of things in life for me. Just get resigned to it. <laughs> <laughs> just accept that it's coming and that's right. <laughs> work with what you got. Yep. Well, can you tell me a, bit, a little bit about um, how you grew up and how that impacted your mental health throughout the years? Yeah. So growing up, I, I truly believe you tend to believe that your parents are are normal and that their behavior kind of sets the tone for what you can expect from other people. And it sets the tone kind of for the rest of your life. And I think a lot of time we tend to forget that our, our parents are human and, and prone to mistakes and, you know, the same issues that, that we are. Um, my parents were a little bit different. Uh, my parents were and are narcissists, um, abusers. My father had an explosive temper while my mother was always very cold and cutting and a little bit more absent. Um, I was emotionally abused most of my life. And when I wasn't being abused, it was neglect, um, which I firmly believe is a form of abuse. Uh, I was never really allowed to to have needs. Asking for help was, was frowned upon and I was made to feel guilty for needing anything. Um, my father died about two years ago, but my mother is still alive. And, you know, even as an adult, the abuse hasn't really stopped. Um, it sounds like there's a lot of trauma associated with the childhood. Yeah, there really is. And, um, I don't think that there will ever be a time when I'm you know, completely past it, but I've learned to kind of, I've learned to kind of deal with the coping mechanisms that my upbringing has left me with and trying to make, make the best of the situation. Um, I actually was diagnosed with complex PTSD as a result of my upbringing and trying to, uh, deal with that has had its own challenges. Can you um, describe what that means uh, and how it's different from regular PTSD? Absolutely. So PTSD is generally thought of being caused by one large event, um, you know, be it some sort of trauma uh, or, you know, vets in a combat zone, you know, those are, those are big traumas. Complex PTSD is caused by little traumas, little things, little stressors over an extended period of time. Kind of like a, when a drop of water hits the same spot for a certain amount of years, it'll dig a hole where it's dripping. Exactly. Yes. And, um, you had a couple other diagnoses that on, on top of that, would you like to get into that? Uh, sure. So I was diagnosed with depression as a teenager. Um, the funny thing about that actually is my parents kind of have this attitude that they could never be wrong ever. Mm -hmm. Um, and my mother especially believes that everything that I do or everything that I am is like a direct reflection on her. So when I came to her in high school and was like, Hey, look, I think I'm struggling with depression. I'm having this, this, and this issue. She looked me straight in the face and was like, you don't have depression. Um, I was essentially forced into counseling after my parents' divorce and was officially diagnosed with depression then. And when I told my mom, uh, she said, well, I've always known you've had depression. You've had, you were diagnosed with it as a very young child. So it made it really difficult for me to kind of come to terms with 
you know, what's the truth and what's not. But dealing with depression has been kind of an ongoing issue most of my life. Uh, I was diagnosed with ADHD and autism uh, in my mid-20s. And what was that like getting that diagnosis? Is it something you suspected that you had or? Uh, no, actually. So my husband actually sat my sister down and was like, Hey, look, I think, I think she might have autism, but I don't know how to bring this up to her. You know, how do I, how do I approach this with her? And my sister was like, well, just tell her. So my husband came to me and was like, Hey, look, it doesn't change the way I feel about you, but I do believe you might be on the spectrum and I think you ought to look at getting tested. And I never would have suspected in a million years that I was on the spectrum at all. Um, and after doing a little bit of research, I find that women are very underdiagnosed or misdiagnosed. It's, it's not just me. It's just something that is overlooked in women a lot. Um, but it did definitely explain a few things from you know, growing up and even into adulthood, some of those weird habits that I have and some of those, those traits that I tend to, you know, associate with being an introvert or just being really smart. You know, I, I never would have thought in a million years, but it did definitely explain a few things once I received the diagnosis. And how about the ADHD? Uh, the ADHD wasn't, it was more of a surprise actually to me than the autism was um, because ADHD manifests very differently between men and women. And you don't, I don't know. I always kind of thought that that was kind of a childhood illness. It's not something that adults deal with, but it is something that adults deal with. And I find that it also explains some of my weird, uh, some of my weird quirks, shall we say, uh, from my, my years in high school, but also in college. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I was considered to be a very gifted student from a very young age. I was in advanced classes all throughout school. Um, and that's actually, I found out, uh, a sign of being on the spectrum for women to be considered gifted. Um, but also, you know, I hit I hit college and I didn't have anybody holding me accountable. I didn't have the structure. So having the autism and the ADHD actually worked in tandem to the point where I just couldn't hack college. I didn't have the structure. I didn't have the accountability and anything that wasn't immediately interesting or that I didn't take to naturally just kind of fell by the wayside. And I ultimately failed out of college. Mm-hmm. Did you ever take medication for it? I have never been on medication for ADHD. Um, again, I wasn't diagnosed until just a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. So uh, my psychiatrist has me on uh, bipolar medication, actually, which really helps with both the depression and the anxiety. And if if what he's doing is helpful, who am I to be like, well, hey, you know, maybe you should be treating me for these things individually. I'm actually pretty happy with where my mental health is at right now. Um, I don't love that I can't focus and that my attention is kind of everywhere, but for the most part, you know, I'm, I'm functional. So, and I'm not, I'm a little concerned that adding new medication to my current uh, regimen may actually work to my detriment. Oh, okay. 
did you have you heard like did someone else tell you that it would hurt you or are you just worried that it will or is, is there a reason that you're that you're concerned about it uh, yeah. So my depression has always been the larger issue, uh, keeping that manageable. And I go through what's known in the industry as poop out, uh, on almost a one year cycle. I'll find a medication that works for me and it'll work for about a year. And then I have to start completely over, um, by adding something into my system that is designed to slow the thought processes down. Uh, I'm concerned that the depression will come back full force. Oh, I see. That's interesting. I take the ADHD medicine, but I've been on it so long. Like, uh, has it occurred to me that it might be messing with my depression? Something to think about? For sure, for sure. Uh, you know, it's definitely something that's in the back of my head, and I would much rather be functional and a little scatterbrained than completely non-functional and unable to get out of bed. Yeah. What's the lowest you've ever been? Um, that would have been about, let's see, how long have I been with Mike? I've been with Mike for almost five years. So about five and a half years ago, uh, I went through a very severe depressive episode where I attempted to take my own life. Um, oddly enough, it was actually my cat that saved my life that day. I had adopted a senior cat, um, I have a soft spot for older cats, you know, nobody wants them and nobody really, I think, appreciates them, um, the way they deserve. They're more settled in their ways and they're, they know they've been rescued. They're very affectionate. So, um, the day that I was going to take my own life, uh, my cat actually walked past where I was and meowed at me. And I had this reaction of like snapping out of it almost where I was like, if I go, who's going to take care of my cat? And that was, that was enough to pull me out of this. I want to die. I don't want to be here anymore. Life is not worth living to actually seek the help that I needed. I'm glad to hear that. Did you get um, counseling from there? Are you already in counseling at that point? Uh, I had been in counseling prior to that uh, for an unrelated issue, but um, I had not thought to seek help from a counselor for the depression until, uh, actually several, several months after that, I wanted to focus on treating it with medication because that had been what had worked for me previously. And I didn't know about the poop out cycle because I had been on the medication for almost two years, three years at that point. So I was experiencing poop out and I just didn't know it. And the decline just completely caught me by surprise. That happens to me too. I have treatment resistant um, mental illness and it's like, I'll be on a medication for a year or so and stops working or try something else. I've been on so many different medications at this point. I couldn't even list them all. <laughs> same, same. I can tell you, you know, I can tell you half of what I'm on now, but I, you know, I don't even know what all, <laughs> what all I'm on right now for it, but I know that what I'm doing works and I know that medication I was very concerned when I was first put on antidepressants. I didn't want to be on medication for the rest of my life, but uh, a very dear uh, friend of mine, one of my mentors was like, hey, look, don't be concerned about the antidepressants. If you had liver failure or diabetes or what have you, would you be concerned about needing to be on medication for that? Your brain is an organ just like anything else and is prone to malfunctions just like any other organ. There's nothing to be ashamed of. 
Yeah, I uh, I had a huge stigma about medication as well. I didn't want to be on it. I kept telling my doctor, I don't want to be on it as little as possible, as little as possible. And he kind of went through that same thing. It's like, if you need these things, then they're helping you. Then what's the, what's the problem? And the problem was just in my head. I was worried about what, about what people would think if, if I started dating and someone found out, oh my gosh, she's bipolar. I mean, at the time I was really worried about telling them I was bipolar. I was really scared. It stopped my life for a long time. Um, eventually I just came around to whatever I'm bipolar. Like I'm, I'm fine. Like for me, it's just part of my, part of who I am now. It gives me good things and gives me bad things. And I just have to manage them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's upsides and downsides to, I believe, every treatment option. But medication for me is the way to manage it long term. And therapy is the best way for me to manage the larger things. Mm-hmm. How has your recovery been impacted by the, your relationships with other people and your, like your work and things like that? Well, it's it kind of varies because being autistic, um, I struggle to develop connections with people. Um, and there really is no treatment for autism. You just kind of learn to adapt and to function in a way that other people aren't as wary of, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, but because I struggle to develop those connections with people, it's made it very hard, both in my professional and my personal life. Uh, I haven't been able to make, keep a job for more than at most a year and a half, I think is the longest job I ever had. Um, I bounce jobs a lot. Uh, and I've been lucky enough to never have burned bridges as I've bounced, but like I'll get bored and I don't want to go to work anymore. So I will start looking for something else, something new, something exciting. And even if it's in the same field, I'll jump from company to company, you know, every year or so until, you know, I find something and I'm hoping to be with my current company for a good long while. I love being where I am and I love helping my friend grow her company. She started this company from the ground up and I'm happy to help her out. And, you know, if my role changes within the company every year to keep me there, then that's what happens. But, you know, I'm, I'm actually very happy where I'm at. That's awesome. Uh, in terms of my personal life, uh, having autism makes it, hard to develop close friendships. Uh, I was actually incorrectly diagnosed with reactive attachment disorder, uh, which stems from childhood trauma and not getting the care and affection and attention that you need when you're very small makes it difficult to form those attachments as adults. Um, and reactive attachment disorder is actually often mistaken for autism, uh, mm -hmm. on both like autism if you have autism, sometimes people will think you'll have reactive attachment disorder, or if you have reactive attachment disorder, sometimes people will think you're autistic. Uh, they're very similar in attachment styles. Um, but anyway, back to, you know, developing those, um, those connections. It's very hard to see me. I'm very, shielded. Um, but then once you're in, I'm, I'm all in, I'm an all in or all out kind of girl. There's, there's no in between and you know where you stand with me, which is kind of off putting for some people. Yeah. <laughs> I think I, I, I found you to be pretty warm. Um, when we went over to play games, I was a friend of uh, Mike's first and my kids and I went over there. I'm always worried about bringing my kids anywhere with me because together we're just like this big boisterous, loud, you know, force of nature. <laughs> so it's always kind of like, okay, how's this going to 
how's this going to work? But you guys were great and you were great. And I really enjoyed getting to know you. Well, thank you. I have very much enjoyed getting to know you as well. Uh, I find that I have a very good ability to read people. Um, and, you know, if I decide I want to know you, then, you know, it's kind of an all in thing. But if, if I, if, if I'm off put, there's no getting in. So, um, but no, I very much enjoyed your energy and it was very easy for me to open up to you and get to know you. It's awesome. Um, what tools have you used to maintain your, um, your mental health? Um, so I switched from a primary care physician to a, um, or I should say a general practitioner to a psychiatrist for my mental health medications. I find that working with a specialist has helped me a lot. I find that, um, I also found that switching from a female to a male doctor, he took me more seriously and I was able to get really that help that I needed, that specialized help. Um, I also have seen therapists on and off for many years for a variety of issues. Uh, my current therapist is absolutely fantastic. I clicked with her very well and she's been, I've seen her, I've been seeing her now for, I believe it was a year in uh, late March, early April, uh, I started seeing her due to a loss in the family. Um, one of Mike's very dear friends passed away and I needed help. And then since then it has evolved and I've been able to work with her with other issues regarding my childhood and, um, you know, issues that have stemmed even into adulthood. That's awesome. Finding a connection with a therapist is no easy task, I find. So when you get one that you like, it's hold on to them for dear life. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, do you have any gifts or abilities because of your diagnoses? Uh, yeah. So because of, I actually fully attribute this to the autism. I am very good at problem solving and identifying patterns and solving puzzles. Um, it's, it's, it's definitely something that is a strong suit. I was actually very good at math in when I was in school as a result of that, being able to identify patterns and figure out how things worked. And I think that's a large part of the reason why I went into engineering. Um, I also, I, I'm not sure if this is the ADHD or the autism, but I have an absurd gift for dialogue. I can hear things like from a movie or even a YouTube video. I can hear it once or twice and I can quote it back to you exactly as it was, uh, with very little effort. That's awesome. That would be a nice superpower to have, <laughs> you know, it's both a blessing and a curse because it comes up at very inopportune moments. Let me tell you, <laughs> um, what things have people said or done to help you? Um, I can't think of anything specific that actually I take that back. Um, so when I, shortly after my suicide attempt, um, I had been working with Mike at, uh, a company for about a year prior to this. Um, and he reached out to me and was like, Hey, I haven't seen you at work in a while. Are you okay? And I just said, no, I'm not okay. This is kind of what's going on. And I'm, I'm taking some mental leave. And he said, well, Hey, you know, I'm house sitting for some friends of mine. Why don't you come over and I'll make you a Dutch baby. And so I came over and we just hung out all day. He made me breakfast. We ordered pizza for lunch. We watched a movie and just having somebody that was there that understood that 
that got it, you know, mm-hmm. having somebody there, even if they're not able to actively do anything that's helpful, just having somebody there has made all the difference in the world. It's part of the reason I went into peer support. Yeah, he's a great peer support too. He, um, I took over all of his clients when he left and they are constantly asking me about him. <laughs> How's he doing? How's Mike? Tell him he's funny. Tell him he's nice. Like they all want him to know that he's wonderful. <laughs> uh, he is pretty wonderful. I'm very lucky to have him. Now you're also um, uh, non-binary. Can you explain what that means? So I realized not all that long ago that I identify as non-binary, which means that I do not identify as either male or female, boy or girl. Um, I actually specifically identify as agender, which means I don't experience gender identity at all. And did that come, I mean, is that part of your mental health journey or is that separate from it? It is separate from it, but I do believe my mental health and diagnoses have played a role in it. Uh, I learned that neurodivergent people make up the vast majority of people that identify as non-binary or gender fluid. Mm. Well, I'm glad that you found that path and that you're walking your truth now. Yes, yes. I, you know, I'm a little embarrassed that it took me 27 years to figure it out, but you know what? It's, I was, I found it when I was ready to, I think. Yeah, maybe your mental health journey has prepared you because you're just in a good place and able to think about it and accept it. Yeah, well, and I'm I'm no longer under the thumb of, you know, my abusive parents that were and are extremely bigoted. Uh, they're very anti-LGBT. And, you know, now that I'm not inundated with, you know, what they think and what they want for me, I'm in a much safer place to explore that part of myself. That's awesome. Okay. What advice would you give someone who's just beginning um, their recovery journey? Uh, That it is never too late. Uh, I was not diagnosed with uh, ADHD or autism until I was 25, I believe. So, you know, don't be afraid to reach out and get the help that you need. Don't be afraid to ask those questions. And it is absolutely never too late to start. Awesome. Good advice. Well, thank you for your time. I appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Well, thank you, Shannon. It's been a pleasure. I'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Bye.